Amen, amen. Good morning, church family, and what a blessing it is to be joined by our children for worship, and you guys are now dismissed to learn all about Jesus and at Harvest Kids, and welcome to Harvest, and um, it's great to basically not see an empty seat, hardly all, in the church this morning, so if you have an empty seat next to you, if you want to scoot through the middle, so just in case some other late folks come in the middle, we would let make room. As I told someone this morning, there's always room for one more, and we are excited for all that God is doing, and this is one of my favorite. Sundays of the year. It's Baptism Sunday, and Jesus is building his church. Amen? Amen. We're going to continue our, our, our series today called Step Out in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you want to get a head start, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And also, if you want to put a finger there, we're also going to be a good bit in time in Genesis this morning. But praise God for how he's moving and building his church. And my, um, and I have a true confession to make. Um, when I was growing up, I don't know if you're like me, and I hope you don't leave me hanging. I would often, with my, when I got in trouble, and yes, contrary to popular belief, I did get in trouble a lot. <laughs> okay. Um, praise God for grace, as we'll see today. Um, growing up as a teenager, my mom or dad would be like, why'd you do that? And I'd be like, well, my best friend, Timmy Troublemaker, made me do it, right? Or Gail, I saw Gail Goody Two-Shoes do it, therefore I thought it must have been the right thing to do, or at least an okay thing to do, or at least they provide cover for when I did it. Now, how many other people were like that, right? You know, that's a common excuse for our, our, our sin, and it's so common that it is the original excuse for sin. We already looked at that a couple weeks ago in Genesis 3, and God's like, Adam, and he's like, I didn't do it, this woman that you gave me, right? Justifying, rationalizing, excusing. We're going to see today in, the, in, in God's word that even when we live, the reality that we live in a corrupt world, we still need to make the choice to live an obedient life. That the corruption around us doesn't negate the responsibility within us to live a life of conviction uh, to God's word or to all those that are around us. We're going to see in the life of Noah that he was faced with choices to be different, to make a different decision than literally everybody else in humanity. You might think your workplace is tough, your neighborhood is tough, your school is tough, corrupt. You don't got nothing on Noah. Literally, everyone else in the world was living a corrupt way. So may that be a warning to us and may that be a sign of hope for us is this reality that even when everybody else is corrupt around us, there still is a choice to be made for us that we can live with faith even in the midst of folly and foolishness. We're gonna see that those choices have consequences. We're going to see God's redemption on one side, a beautiful aspect of his redemptive character, which it always is. We're also going to see his holiness on display in the form of wrath. The reality of the consequences of our sin that lead to destruction in us and around us and for us if we do not choose God's way in every way. We're going to see that faith is a gateway to our deliverance and our redemption, and not just a one-time faith, but an everyday faith. That's what we're going to celebrate with the baptism, a, a declaration of faith, a, a next step of obedience. And today, friends, we all have a next step to take. I'm not sure what your next step is. I just pray that you would open your heart to whatever that is, and that God would work in you and through you as you respond in whatever way. We're going to see today that the way of the world leads to destruction. The way of God's word leads to deliverance. Which way are you choosing today? We're going to see that the reality of future uncertainty does not give me a reason to negate my responsibility to live obediently. 
And I don't know what you're walking into with or listening online with, what in your life is uncertain. I just know we all have those things. Maybe it's an, on something you can't see about your future. You can't see a way past your past, maybe. Maybe you can't see a way to provide financially or get the job that you want. You, can't, you don't know what the next decision or the right decision is. We're going to see that all throughout the text of Noah today. But we're going to see the reality that here's our big idea on the screen and in your notes that the reverent fear of God produces radical obedience to God. No matter what circumstances are around you, no matter what earthly consequences lie in front of you because of the choices we make, a reverent fear, a heart of worship must produce, will produce, if it is authentic, a life of radical obedience. Now, it might not be radical to God, but it might be radical to your, your spouse, your family member, your neighbor who might be, you're crazy. What do you think Noah's neighbor saw to him? So today, you must make the choice of who will you follow, the way of the world or the way of God, because your decision has consequences both on earth and for all of eternity. So may we be a church that steps out in faith. May you be a person. May you have a family that does this. It's not contingent on anyone else around you, but here's a beautiful reality. We will go with you. God is with you and so are we. You don't have to do this alone. So I pray that we would move our focus from the world to God's word and that that would produce within us a reverent fear that leads to radical obedience. That's God's calling for our life today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, right? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just pray that you would move. God, this, we're here today because you have moved. We're here today because you, you are moving. And we're here today because you will move. And we are here today to follow you. I don't know the status of, of everyone else's heart in this room. I just know the status of my own heart that bounces around like a ping pong ball, just worried about certain things in this earth. Forgive me for that, God. And I just pray that you would focus my heart on you that you would focus every heart in this room and, and listening to your word today here at Harvest, online or in person, on you. That you would fill us first with a reverent fear of you and you would fuel us for a life of radical obedience to you. Holy Spirit, do what you promised to do. Encourage and exhort, convict and compel. Help us to see that you are more worthy of it all than anything else in this world. And help us to give our lives to you, Jesus Christ. We love you. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11. And if you're, just, if you're not as familiar with your Bible, uh, that's totally okay. I'm glad you're here. Hebrews is about two-thirds of the way into your Bible. It's about two-thirds of the way through the New Testament. Um, and we're, we're going, and we're in a series called Step Out as we're going through Hebrews chapter 11, looking verse by verse, which is what we do at Harvest, about the, the calling that God has put on us to live a life of faith in response to God's faithfulness to us. So today we're going to read in verse 11. And turn with me and read with me if you would. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. We're going to see today, right from this text, the reality that we live in a world of uncertainty. It says it right there. And yet, events as yet unseen. But even when we can't see it, we still need to make a choice of faith in it. We're going to see from this text three choices of faith that we need to make every day in our lives to live a life of obedience that brings honor and glory to God and honestly blessing to our life, favor from God. 
not in the form of maybe a million dollars in your bank account, but peace in your heart, hope in your life, joy in your spirit. Anybody need those things, want those things, desperate for them? They're here for you today, but they're only found in Jesus. Only in Jesus. As we continue our journey through Hebrews 11, we want to see the thread of faith that God is writing through his author of Hebrews. The Holy Spirit is writing this book through a human author. We've seen and we've looked in the first two weeks at specific examples of first Abel and last week Pastor Andrew did a great job of looking at Enoch and now we're looking at Noah. And what you see is that Abel's life was marked by a life of a heart of worship. Enoch's life was marked by a life of walking with God. Today we're going to see Noah's life is marked by a heart that works for God. And those things sound familiar? Worship, walk, work, right? It's a life of faith. That's what we talk about here at Harvest is a life of a maturing disciple. Why? Because it's in God's word. It's what God asks of us and demands from us. And actually in Noah's life today, you're going to see worship, walk, and work specifically. But I think it's really neat to see through the life of Abel, Enoch, and Noah specifically commended for worship, walk, work. Is that true of your life as well? We're going to see in verse 7 that Noah was mourned by God concerning events unseen. And now some of us are like, let's cut the tape right there. I'm out. In Noah's time, they'd never seen a flood. God's like, a flood's coming. Noah's like, okay. Yeah, right. I can't visualize it. I can't control it. Therefore, God, I'm out of it. I can't follow you to a place unknown because I need to see it. I need to control it. And maybe, is that your heart today? You're so focused on controlling your own life details, you're actually living in disobedience because you're serving yourself more than God. If you're being really, 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 really honest with yourself, because at that, who's the subject of that? You're putting your faith in yourself, not in God. The whole point of faith, go back to verse 1 of 11, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things what? Not seen. We can be sure of the hope that we have in God's character, God's promises, God's truth. But where are you anchoring your hope? In yourself or in God? Because that will fuel the rest of your life. God is calling you and I, like Noah, to step out. Even when we can't see it, even when we don't see it, to put our faith in God and obey through it. Will you do that today? Think, I want you to think about through this message, that area specifically, and the Holy Spirit will lead you. He'll lead you of that you're struggling to see today and that you're struggling to obey in today. Maybe it's in a relational reconciliation. Maybe it's in your future. Maybe it's a hurt from the past. Maybe you're praying for a loved one to be saved that you think could never be saved. Wait till the end of the service. God is able and God is able now. So will you choose to trust it and be faithful in it and obey him through it? Here are three different choices that we need to make even when we can't see. So even when I can't see it, the first choice that you and I need to make consistently is to walk with God reverently. It's right in the text. Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Some of us are like, stop. And then how does Noah respond though? In reverent fear, right? First choice in reverent fear, I'm going to run to God in the situation um, as opposed to running away from God. What are you doing right now in the situations that you can't see? Now, to get more context, keep a finger or thumb or marker in Hebrews 11. Turn back with me to Genesis. We're going to look a high level at Genesis part, uh, 6 through 9, uh, parts of it. And so we're not going to go through every detail of the story of Noah. 
I would love for you to read back on it on your own, but we're going to look at the highlights of it, really some specific examples that bring to life the characteristics and the callings and the application that we see in the truth that God is calling us to in Hebrews 11, 7. So if you turn back with me to 11, uh, Genesis, starting in verse uh, chapter, really, 5, 32, Pastor, Pastor Andrew looked at Enoch last week. And so we're not just seeing the, the threat of faith throughout Hebrews, but the, what we, the story of Hebrews is really a microcosm as a greater narrative, meta-narrative of the entire scripture, the life of faith, God's pursuit. So we're looking at it through also the lens of the Old Testament. So in chapter 5, verse 32, we see after Noah was 500 years old, basically Enoch was born, and then it was Methuselah, then Lamech, then Noah. Noah was the great-grandson of Enoch. When he was 500 years old, the text says, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So if you're like, when he's 500, man, that brings to life, uh, puts some new spin on the phrase, if you're not dead, you're not done, right? So he was still getting busy at the age of 500, okay? We got work to do, friends, right? He's not just, he was getting busy following the Lord. Because what we see here in this context is that Enoch, his great-grandfather, walked with, no, with God. And we see here, we'll jump with me to chapter 6, verse 5, where we're going to pick it up. We're going to see Noah walking with the Lord as well. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is Genesis 6, 5, now starting in 6. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth and it grieved his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things, birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in the generation. Noah, what? Walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, verse 11. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their way on earth. Now that just isn't the past. That could be a description of the present, couldn't it? You see corruption, all you have to do is open your eyes, walk outside, turn on social media, go to work, go to school. So the principles that we see in the story of Noah are very much applied to the practical realities of our life today, are they not? That even in the midst of corruption, and it's corrupt, Noah still walked with the Lord. Are you walking with the Lord? Now, what it talks about in reverent fear in 11.7, it's a heart issue. It's a posture of a heart. The word reverent means to stand in awe. It's respect, but it's more than respect. It's to look at God's holiness and go, in view of your holiness, I will obey. It's a heart posture that goes, I can't even touch the Ark of the Covenant or else I will what? Die, because God's holiness is real. And it's reverent. It's like my father on a much smaller scale taught me with the ocean. I love the ocean. I love to play in it. But he said, you need to revere it. Not because it's bad, but because it can take your life if you don't respect it, if you don't pay attention to it, if you don't acknowledge it, because you can be playing one and you get tugged out the next day. In the same way, we need to enjoy God, but we never need to lose the awe of the reality of his grandeur and his greatness and his holiness. And the reality that our sin requires a death penalty because it, it has a consequence of death. So we need to live reverently and, and act circumspectly, not casually around God. Are you acting circumspectly or are you living casually? Hey, God, I'll, I'll get around to following God whenever I want, whenever it suits me, whenever it helps my plan. In decisions, actions, thoughts, are you revering God? 
or not. We see that God was heartbroken of the, the, the status of earth. It says words like sorrow. That word actually means grieved. And the word, it, it, God is grieving. He's in sorrow about the sinful condition of man's heart. Your sin and my sin is a big deal, guys. It grieves the heart of God. We'll look at this later, but does it grieve your heart? It grieves. And he said, I will blot out man, verse 7 of chapter 6. That word literally means to annihilate or obliterate. The wrath of God is real because sin is deadly and deserves the death sentence. God's not messing around. He will not compromise his holiness. But in the same tone, we see verse 8. But Noah found favor. That word favor means grace. Grace is at its core, unmerited favor. So we see God's wrath and God's redemption intermarried in the same. Same is true for you and I today. God will not compromise his holy. He is uncompromisingly holy, but he's also unconditionally loving, that he always offers us a way out, a safety, redemption, and that is through our faith in him. Praise God for that, amen? But we have, before we move forward, we have to see the reality that our sin deserves death that God is not wrong for, for wiping out the earth. He's within every right that he has, which should make his grace for us and his salvation for us mind-blowingly awesome and lead us to reverence and worship, which is where Noah was. Because he learned it from his daddy, who learned it from his daddy, who learned it from his daddy. Are you treating God reverently today or not? The word righteous here in verse 9, it says that Noah was a righteous man. This is the first time the word righteous is used in the Bible. The word righteous means that you are in a right relationship with God that only comes through a perfect sacrifice, that only comes through faith, that only comes, that we can't earn it. It is God's gift to us because of our faith, but you can't work for it, but you do work from it, as we will see with Noah. We are saved by grace through faith, not by our works. It means to be, look, when God sees us, he sees us as blameless. So we can't just walk, we don't walk with God passively, culturally, or conveniently, but we must walk with God reverently and obediently. That's the life of Moses. That's what it is to live a righteous life, to pursue God. We're not perfect, but a life of, of blamelessness, the word blameless isn't perfection here. It means that nothing can be held against you. It means the same concept that you are above reproach, having integrity, as we see Paul write in the New Testament. It means that, yes, you're a sinner, but when you sin, you throw yourself on the redemption of God, and, and God covers your sin, that you are quick to seek God's forgiveness, knowing that he can cover you, and he will. But yes, you are growing longer and longer and longer at times between sin, and you're going faster and faster and faster until when you begin to seek repentance when you do sin. So this Noah, Noah is, a, the story of Noah is a beautiful mirror of the whole Bible, God's redemptive story. Noah is actually mentioned and referred to 50 times throughout nine different books. But I, I want you to see this today, that we are not going to cover every detail, but I, I want you to see that more than a kid's story about an ark, this story is an archetype showing the reality of God's wrath for our sin and the reality of his redemption when we put our faith in him. 
It's displaying the heart of God, of the meta-narrative that goes from, from Genesis to Revelation. And when we talk about walking reverently, walking is literally one foot in front of the other. So every step you make, you're either walking towards God or you're walking away from God. Every decision that you take, how you're gonna spend your finances, how you're gonna use your time, how you're gonna to respond to that nasty email at work when someone's mean to you, around you, how are you gonna respond? Noah had every reason with the society, the corrupt, angry, murdering society around him to join in. He said, not today, because I'm gonna live for God, not man. I know it's tough at your work. I know it's tough at your homes, maybe, or it's tough in your school or a tough past, but that is not an excuse for not following the Lord. Look to the life of Noah. We need God's grace and God's strength to obey, and he amply gives it to us, amen? But we, what's your heart's pursuit? Walking reverently or living rebelliously? Your choice. So let's do a little bit of a, of a reverence reality check in our hearts. What's the heart posture of each of us today is we see the reality that we need to and we can, not just need to, but you are empowered. I need to hear you, you to hear this. You have a choice. Noah had a choice. You have a choice too. Same God, same choice. To live with courageous faith in a corrupt world. Will you make it? What's more important to you? Worship is ascribing worth. So let's do a reverence reality check. Where am I at with God today? Yes, we're not denying the reality of the depravity around us, and we're not even denying the reality of the depravity inside of us. The question is, are we elevating God over it and pursuing him through it and putting our faith in him? The first reverence reality check, we're going to ask five questions, is this. Is my life filled with gospel consistency? Noah was how old when he had kids? 500. That's 500 years of gospel consistency. Some of us can't go five minutes. Five days, five months, 50 years. 500 years of just doing the next right biblical God-honoring thing. That's gospel consistency. Is that what could be said of you? No, it's not perfect, but he's pursuing. Are you choosing in every aspect of your life, no matter the cost to you or to others, to do the next right biblical thing? God's way, not your way. Sometimes there can be confusion in there. Are you genuinely listening to the Holy Spirit with an open heart? Or are you just asking God to for confirmation bias. God, I'm going to do this. Can you rubber stamp it? There's a verse in here somewhere that will tell me that what I want to do is God's way, so I'm going to take it out of context, apply it to my life. That's so wrong. Are you the same person at work that you are at small group, if you're even going to small group? Are you the same person at home as you are at church? Are you the same person when you're playing on the athletic field or in the boardroom as you are when you're in your Bible study, that's gospel consistency. It's the way that you're speaking, the way that you're acting, the way that you're doing, reflecting Jesus Christ in every way. That's gospel consistency. That's Noah. 500 years, the world was corrupt. Noah walked with faith. You can do it too. Same God, amen? Same God, same calling. Imagine what would change in you and through you if you genuinely surrender your speech, your actions, your future, your past, everything to God, everything would change. Second question, am I discipling my family to walk with God? We see that at the heart of this. Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, who was saved in this flood? Eight people. 
Noah and his wife, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. Noah, who was discipled by his dad, he was discipled by his dad, he was discipled by his daddy. Are you discipling your kids? In a corrupt world, are you pointing them to Christ? And we will walk with you as a church. We are thrilled. Harvest Kids is awesome. I challenge you to sign up to volunteer to Harvest Kids Camp. Send your kids. Encourage your kids. Sign up. Bring them to students tonight. You need to prioritize getting them to church and getting in God's word. But you cannot outsource your responsibility to disciple your children. We will walk with you, but the ultimate onus is on you. And you will give an account. As will I. We want to resource you, equip you, and come alongside you. And by God's grace, there is story after story after story of people that grew up in non-Christian homes that God used, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers. Praise God for that. But pursuing the Lord, walking reverently, is pointing your kids to Jesus Christ. You can't choose for them, but the charge is to create an environment to do that. We're going to celebrate that next week with our parent commissioning slash child dedication. Be here. It's going to be awesome. If you've got kids you've never dedicated or, com- or you haven't been commissioned as parents, we'd love to let us know after service. We'd love to do that with you. But it says, we, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Dropping an anchor in the corrupt world around us, we live Christ's way all the way, all the time. Is that you? It's not easy. We need a biblical community to encourage us because there are days that I'm like, um, can somebody else take my kids? Because, uh, you know, please. But that's Family. That's what we are. That's why you need to commit so you could have that too. But man, what a privilege it is to raise our kids the way of the Lord. Generational and eternal impact. We see that in this text. Let's do that. Our our family, our kids, I want to invite you all. We're, We're challenging all four of our kids and they're seven to 15 to read through the New Testament this summer. Join us. Do what Pastor Andrew encouraged us to do last week. Read a proverb a day. Do it yourself. Do it with your kids. Do it with your spouse. Model for them. Show up. Worship. That's why we do family worship. Third question. Am I fearing God or fearing man? Walking reverently means fearing God. Or am I fearing the reaction and prioritizing the others around me in the corrupt world? Am I serving to please God or please man? People pleasing is hard. I struggle with it. I've grown in that, but man, I haven't kicked it totally yet. You can't let what other people think about you stop you from doing what God is calling of you. But you need to make sure it's God, boy, not your way. Are you worshiping the creator or the created? Do you care way more about what your your friends at work or social media think about you than what you do about what God says of you? Is your worship and following of Jesus casual? Is it cultural or is it convenient? Because following Christ is not even cultural anymore, is it? Or is it convictional? I will follow the Lord. I don't care what's happening. I don't care the consequences. We will serve the Lord. Will you do that? Where are you looking for your satisfaction and affirmation that can only come from Jesus, truly? The world will let you down. Where are you seeking direction? Man, the word of God or the word of man? Fourth question, am I grieved by my sin? We see this in the text, right? Genesis 6 right here, that the Lord was grieved by man's sin. Your sin grieves God. Does it grieve you? Or are you just like, whatever, I slipped up. No, does it grieve you? to the point that you want us to do whatever it takes to stop it. Jesus says, if your arm's causing you to sin, cut it off. 
poke your eyes out, do whatever it takes to stop sinning because Jesus is greater. A reverent life is one broken by the presence of sin in my life to do whatever it takes to choose to follow God and get rid of the sin. Is that you? What do you need to repent of today? Genuinely, authentically, and find grace and find hope and find help. Last question, am I doing the harder right God-honoring thing or the easier wrong thing? Noah did the harder right thing, right? So much easier to just go with the way of the world. What in your life do you need to choose to do the right, the God-honoring right thing? And don't get lost in this beautiful reality that the, the impact of your obedience will far exceed you in ways that you can never know. We are all here today because Noah just chose to do the next right biblical thing. Like God took Noah and his family and he created you and me down the road, right? He be fruitful and multiply. There were only eight people left. You, never under, you can never know the full impact of your obedience. You might impact someone that, who impacts someone else, who impacts someone else in a different state or a different country. The guy that you share with at work, the girl that you pray for in your neighborhood, you might never see them come to Christ, but three years later, they might come to Christ, become a missionary, become whatever. You don't know. Keep being faithful. Reverent fear of God produces radical obedience to God. Where is God calling you to be ra- ra- radically obedient? But that starts with a heart of reverence, and we see that in the life of Noah. Noah reverently feared God, and he walked with God, no matter what others said around him. The second decision choice that we need to make is even when I can't or don't see it, I choose to obey God wholeheartedly. Not half, but whole. So here, we're going we're to fly through these next two chapters, overviews. We're going to look more at the principles and the details so we can apply the principles into our life. But as we begin in 6.13, Noah begins, and God said to Noah, he begins to read Noah into his plan to, one, destroy the world, but two, to save Noah and his family. He makes a covenant with Noah. He says, I'm going to wipe off the face of the earth. I'm going to bring a flood. It's a universal flood. It's going to cover every speck of humanity and every ground. And he says in, in, in 617 and then 618, but I will establish my covenant with you. Praise God for his hope and redemption. Amen. This is the first word, use of the word covenant in scripture. The word covenant it talks about an agreement that involves an obligation and benefits for both parties or all parties involved. Now, some biblical covenants with God are conditional, some are unconditional. We're going to see at the end of this chapter, God makes an unconditional covenant to Noah where he says, I will never, ever, ever again wipe, the flood, wipe everyone off the earth with a flood. The Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant. The Mosaic covenant is a, is a conditional covenant. If you do this, if you obey, then this all pointing to the new covenant with Jesus says, if you put your faith in me, then you will be with me for all of eternity. I'll give you, I will cover your sin with my grace and forgive you. Praise God for that. We see in verse 19 of chapter six that that Noah is called to, well, take two of every sort of living animals. And I want to highlight this. It says they shall be male and female. I'm not going to say a lot about this, but, but I will say this. Gender matters to God. Right there. Now, Noah obeyed in 22. He, 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 Noah did this, 622. He did all that God had commanded him. Not some, but all. Could that be said of you right now? He began to build the ark, which when you flip back to Hebrews 11, 7, you don't have to flip. I'll just read it for you, or you can flip back. It said, with reverent fear, Noah constructed an ark. The word constructed means he's obeying, right? 
God's like, do it. And, and Noah didn't go, how do I build an ark? I've never seen rain. No way the rain's, I, no way, God, you would ever need a boat. How do I build this ark? No, he just did it. He obeyed wholeheartedly. Noah's working for God as he's building this ark, proactively doing all that God commanded of him. So let's look at some steps of obedience through this story as we continue to take a high-level view of it and learning the principles that we can apply to our practical and, and different steps are required in different seasons and situations of our life, right? We're going to see that in the text. Sometimes God says stay, sometimes he says go. Sometimes he says speak, sometimes he says be quiet. We need to learn to listen and then obey. Listen to God read the word of God, apply the word of God, and follow the lead of God. And I I think Pastor Andrew had a great word for us last week when he said, do it in the community of God, right? There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, biblical counselors. So here's the first step of obedience that we see Noah taking. He built it even when others can't see it. Literally, if you build it, they'll come. He built the ark. What is God asking you to build even when you can't see it? God, you're calling me to start a Bible study in my workplace, but I don't think anyone is going to show up. Do it anyway, right? God, you're calling me to reach out to the moms in my neighborhood, even though I don't think anyone is going to show up. Do it anyway, right? The story of all of you, how God led you here, whether this is your first time here or you've been here for seven and a half, eight years, man, praise God. People are like, you're going to go to that small church? You're going to plant a church? You're going to leave a church? You're going to go on staff? You're going to go part? What are you? You're crazy. You know, God called me, so I'm going to follow it. I'm going to be obedient. Radical obedience out of reverent fear. What is God calling you to build today? I love what Ray said last week. He's like, God was calling me off the bench. I bet you God's calling some of us off the bench this morning. Amen. Where is he calling you to build it? Build into these kids' lives, students, kids. We have a need for people to serve and harvest kids who will get up off the bench and volunteer to pour into discipling our children. I think God is calling some of us to do that. Let's do that. Harvest Kids Camp, DR, all these things. Live with an eternal perspective. Build it even when other people can't see it. They couldn't see the rain. Noah built it anyway. Surrender control of it. If you look at Genesis 6.15, God gives us these instructions on how to build the ark. He says, you're going to build 300 cubits uh, with a breadth of 50 cubits and its height of 30 cubits. Can I tell you this? That the ark was built, for na- was not, was built in such a way that it was way more for flotation than navigation. You're not going anywhere fast in this thing. Didn't have a steering wheel. Literally, God said, build it and give up control. Um, you're not, you can't even tell which direction you're going. How many of us are like, God, I'll build it if I can control it. I'll do it if I can be in this geographic location. I'll do it if I can have to make this amount of money. I'll do it if I can have this amount of position. God's like, no, 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 no. You need to give up control. There's, there's an old saying that says, if you want to go far, or if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Some of us are trying to go fast, and God's trying to call us to go far. He's calling you to slow down. Wait for him. Give up control. Let him work. Where do you need to surrender control of your life today? Third is bring others with you. He's like in, in tail end of six, he says, bring two of every kind of animal. And in seven, he continues here, take, take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and the, and the female. And so he's telling you, bring other people with you, bring animals with you, bring your family with you into the ark. Who is God calling you to reach out to, to bring with you 
into the proverbial ark. I love what Al Mohler, Pastor Al Mohler says, where he says that the ark, in a way, is a picture of God's church. That in a world of corruption, it is living a life of obedience and faith that will produce deliverance through God. Who is God calling you to bring with you to experience the safety of God's character, his promises and faith, to invite them in, share the gospel, invite them to church, invite them to have a conversation in your neighborhood, in your schools. Fourth, another step of obedience is to step into it. We see that the ark was built in verse seven of chapter seven, and Noah and his sons and his wives and his son's wives went with him into the ark where they waited, and if you fast forward to verse 16 of chapter seven, and it says, and the Lord shut them in. God's like, you're in it until I say you're done with it. We should never leave a ministry assignment until God releases us. Even if it gets boring and monotonous, can you imagine how boring it was day after day to clean poop of animals? To like look at the same people over and over and over. all to have talked to is just your family, your nuclear family. Some of us are like, oh boy. <laughs> God's like, I'm going to shut you in. I'm going to keep you here. But it took faith to step into it, to commit, right? There's no, God shut you in. How many of you, your next step of faith is commitment? Commitment to a church, this church, wherever. Membership, baptism, faith, small group, serving. Commitment to a neighborhood outreach. Commitment to fill in the blank. What is God calling you to step into today? To commit, to stop dilly-dallying about it and to commit to it, to tithe, to give, to serve, to share, whatever it is. You know, because the Holy Spirit's kicking your butt about it right now. Next week, wait for God in it. They had to wait for seven days for the flood to start once they were in, and they had to wait for days and months on end for them to get out of it, and they had no idea how long they were going to be there, right? That's part of surrendering control. They waited actively. Waiting is not passive. It's active. It's praying and it's trusting. What is God asking you to proactively wait for today but not give up hope in? Because that's the next thing. Trust God in it. Look with me at 7.22. The floods had covered all the earth. Everything on dry land whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He, God, blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, creeping things, birds of heaven. They were blotted out from the earth. Wow. Here's hope. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. So the reality of the depravity, you're like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. But trusting the reality of God's redemption in the middle of the depravity around us, amen? I'm sharing this with permission, but we're going to tell, Mike's going to get baptized. Mike Croy's going to get baptized at the end of the service. And the last time we had a baptismal service, I got a a message from Tiffany, his wife, after the service that said, just, I'm, I'm struggling to believe. I'm actually doubting the reality that God could ever save my husband. But I'm going to pray anyway in my unbelief. And look at where we are. Look at our God now. What are you waiting on that you need to keep praying for? What do you need to keep trusting God and where do you need to keep being faithful in? Our God can do it. Our God will do it because he already has done it. Amen? And he'll do it again. And again. And again. And again. And then at the end of the day, where do you need to step out? I love verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1, but God remembered Noah. God doesn't forget you. Amen? 
put your own name in there right there. Like, I've been on the ark with these stinky animals and my nuclear family for months. God help. But God remembered Noah when all he could see was water and no dry land. God remembered Noah. And God remembers you, Angie. And he remembers you, Thomas. And Christina. And so on and so on and so on. He knows the details of your situation. He knows the struggle. He knows what you're waiting for, what you're trying, because he knows, he's sovereign. And he's at work in it, even when we can't see it. We need to choose to believe it. He remembers. And then there came a time where the, the rain stopped, the floods began to die down, and Noah sent a couple different birds out to test the waters. And then you hop down, the ground was dry, And then verse 15 of chapter eight, then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you, all the flesh, the birds, the animals, the creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm the earth, be fruitful and multiply. He's giving them very similar instructions to what he gave to Adam and Eve on the earth. So Noah went out, obedience, right? His sons, his wives, and his sons' wives with him, every beast, creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves. And then verse 20, chapter 8, Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal, some of every clean bird, and offered burnt alterings to the altar. And when the Lord smelt it, the pleasure of the aroma, the Lord said in his heart, it blessed him. I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer, winter, day and night shall not cease. God called Noah out and he left. Can you imagine the trauma that Noah had experienced? He'd watched every other human being die. He had been stuck on the same boat for months on end, totally out of control. And now he had the privilege and the responsibility to repopulate the entire earth and step out and go, what in the world am I gonna do? Talk about an uncertain future, a new beginning, a new calling. No one had, maybe that's you. But he stepped out of the boat that had probably become decently comfortable in some ways. Where is God calling you to step out in faith? God, sometimes the season of faith is stepping in, sometimes it's stepping out. We're church planting church. One day God's going to call us to plant a church. Prepare your heart right now to go. A new small group. Step up in leadership. Step up in whatever it is. Where is he calling you to step up and step out? And notice the reality that the first thing Noah did was worship. In all of his anxiety, and all his, he's a mixed bag of emotions. I'm sure he's thrilled to be alive. I'm sure he's overwhelmed. I'm sure he's grieving. But what does he do with it all? He worships. He walked with the Lord, then he worked for the Lord, and now he's worshiping the Lord. May that be true of all of us as well. Where do you need to live in obedience today? Step out of your comfort zone. Step on mission, out on mission. You're not alone. Noah, Noah had, you're like, Noah didn't have anybody. Well, he had his family and that was enough. He had seven other people with him and they rebuilt the earth. Praise God, amen? If God can rebuild an entire population of the world with eight people, what do you think he can do with way more than eight people in this room right now? Mom, let's step out in faith. Focus on God's promises, not your problems. Focus on Christ and not your circumstances. Change your perspective, change your point of view. No excuses. The fallibility of the world around you, the depravity that is inside you is not an excuse for not obeying God. Repent and obey. He is our God, is our savior. He's our way maker when we can't see it, our chain breaker, our promise keeper. Even when we don't see it, God is still working. You believe that.
Reverent fear of God produces radical obedience to God. And the third choice you and I need to make today is this, is to rest in God's grace confidently. Rest in his grace confidently. We see God's grace all throughout this. When you go back to Hebrews eleven seven, we see the reality that Noah walked with the Lord reverently and then he worked for the Lord as he obeyed and constructed an ark. And then he said that by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, Noah personally did not condemn the world, but the dichotomy of Noah's righteous living demonstrated the reality of the depravity of the world, if that makes sense. And with depravity comes destruction. Our only hope in the middle of our own depravity is to throw ourselves fully on the grace of God. As Noah did that, he received the, became an heir of righteousness and received the righteousness that only comes from God. That is grace, amen? That when we deserve destruction, when we deserve the condemnation in the world, God said, because you have put your faith in me, I will take your sins and throw them as far as the east is from the west. I will cover every single one of them. Praise God, amen. That's grace. We see that in 6, when 6, 8, when the world is corrupt in God, Noah found favor. He found grace in God's eyes. So today, maybe you just need to rest in God's grace confidently confident that God's grace is enough to sustain you, that God's grace is enough to carry you, that God's grace is enough to save you, that God's grace is enough to strengthen you, that you can't do it on your own. So let's throw ourselves fully on the grace of God. We need to preach the grace of God to ourselves every single day. Noah experienced grace from God and he was declared righteous by God. All of ch- the, the first part of chapter nine is just God just blessing and God blessed. He demonstrated ver- verse one, chapter nine he, of Genesis. God blessed Noah. He showed favor. He lavishes grace upon them because of his righteousness. And that same gift is available for you and I too. He said, never again, never again will I destroy the earth like this. And by the way, be fruitful and multiply. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. That's verse three. I give you the green plants. I give you everything, verse three said. Man, we can rest confidently in the God who gives so generously, amen? That's grace. And the same God who gave it then will give it to us again and again and again. And again, all this pointing to the new covenant. He's making the Noahic covenant, say that 10 times fast right here, which is pointing to the new covenant that comes through Jesus Christ. Where when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God looks at us as righteous because Jesus has clothed us with his righteousness. And God declares, it's called justifies us not guilty, innocent, blameless in his eyes. Not because we're perfect, but because he's perfect, Jesus. Praise God for his grace. And then he gives them a sign. He says, the sign of my covenant in verse 14, 15, 16 is a rainbow. It's a rainbow. You see this picture behind me? Guess what we saw on Wednesday here this week? It was awesome. A rainbow. You know when rainbows most often come? At the end of a storm, right? I don't know what storm you're walking through right now that you can't see, but may this rainbow be the reality of God's grace to you. May you remember that God remembers you and may you rest in his character. May you trust in his promises. 
And may that fill you with hope and joy and peace, even in the middle of difficult circumstances. It doesn't mean that your external circumstances get easier. It means that your internal circumstances, your heart, there can be peace, hope, joy, love, no matter what is around you, because God's grace has saved you. Amen? It's filled you. So I don't know what that thing is for you right now, the thing you can't see, but I pray that you would look to the rainbow and more than that, look to God's righteousness, look to his character today and choose to rest in that. Maybe your next step of faith isn't actively doing something, it's resting. It's exhaling your problems and inhaling God's promises, right? Maybe you just need to do that this afternoon. I'm worried about my money, but God will provide. You know, right? I'm a mess. Welcome to the club. God's mercy is more, right? Rest. Exhale your trouble. Inhale God's grace. Some of you are like, I need a sign today. Part of the story of this baptism is Mike was looking for a sign. Literally, you'll hear it. It came through an open door on a stage. God gives rainbows. He gives doors. More importantly, most importantly, he gives his son as a sign of his love for you. Just rest on his love for you today. God's grace is sufficient. It never runs out and it's available for you right here, right now. What's keeping you from it? Is it your pride? Lay it down. How do I know what to do? One of the most determining factors in my life to know what to do when God wants me to stay, go, whatever, is peace. I will not move without God's peace. And when I have God's peace, I will go take any hill with anybody. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? If you're wrestling for peace, don't move. Wait. Sit on the boat for months. Let it work. Because while you can't see it, he is working in you, and then he wants to work through you. Here's what God says. God's word, the author of Hebrews says about God's grace. Let us then approach with confidence. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive grace, mercy, and find grace to help in our time of need. Friends, to you, where do you need God's grace in your life today? Specifically, generally, we all need it in every aspect of our life, but specifically, what is that area of your life that you need God's grace? And maybe you need to trust him for your salvation today. Maybe you need to trust him for a next step of obedience. Maybe you need to trust him for gospel consistency. I don't know, but what is it? Because he gives faith. Maybe you're like Paul in 2 Corinthians who has gone over and over again saying, God, I got this thorn in my flesh, take it away. Maybe that's a situation, that thing that you can't see a way out of, that you can't see it. And God, here's the message from God to Paul and it's God's message to you this morning. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for who? You. Would you look at your neighbor right now and say, God's grace is sufficient for you. It is. Now I pray that you believe that. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, 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 I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I will boast when I can't see. I will boast when I can't do it. Why? Because the power of Christ may what? Rest upon me. Praise God. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then God is strong. That's the message of Noah. That's the calling of God's life for you and I today. Would you bow your heads with me right here, right now? In these next few moments, Amy's gonna continue to play and I just, I just want you to, to spend some time with the Lord. Slow down for the next 30 to 60 seconds. 
And maybe the choice that you need to make today is to live reverently and you need to choose repentance or recommitment. Maybe the choice you need to make is to make a step of obedience that God is calling you to do. Maybe the choice that you need to make today is just to rest in God's grace. Would you just ask the Lord to reveal to you what he wants you to do to, to remind you of his grace? Remember that. As the Lord remembered Noah, he remembers you. And he will meet you right here, right now. So just ask him right here over the next little bit of time and I'll close this time in prayer. we love you and you are faithful even when we aren't you offer us redemption in a world that is full of rebellion and even when we were rebellious you chose to send Jesus to die for us thank you Jesus and in this moment help us to choose to live with courageous faith in a world full of corruption forgive us for the times where we have not offered the reverence that you alone are due Jesus Turn us to that posture of our heart and give us the strength to choose to obey in big ways and small ways and everyday ways. And help us to rest confidently in your grace, Jesus. So we celebrate the reality that your grace saves, your grace sustains, your grace strengthens, your grace sends. Your grace is enough. Thank you so much, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for the grace that saved us and the grace that today sanctifies us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.